1: Welcome to Vulgar History Season 3. My name is Anne Foster, and this is a feminist women's history comedy podcast. This season's theme is How to Lose a Queen in Nine Days, aka the Lady Jane Grey scenario. And this is our third episode, right? Yes. And and so hopefully by now you're seeing sort of the sort of oniony layers, onion like layers of stories that we're looking at because it's not a straight progression of like here's the grandmother here's the mother here's the person it's like here's kind of a bunch of women who were around at the same time who had significant impact on lady jane gray and who she was as a person and what happened to her and so so we've already looked at mary tudor we've looked at Catherine willoughby And when we were talking about Catherine Willoughby, we mentioned that she was really good friends with Catherine Parr, a.k.a. best known as Henry VIII's sixth and final wife. And actually, they were part of a girl squad, Renaissance, Reformation girl squad. They were just a group of really smart, um, really curious, very religious women who like to meet and talk about the Bible and talk about all the knowledge that they were learning and just being strong, independent, cool people. Altogether, they were mostly named Catherine. There was a couple of people also named Anne in the group because at this point, the name Anne just kind of means woman. Like, if you just have a daughter and you're like, what will we call, I don't know, female? Anne was just kind of the name when you didn't know what else to call somebody. But the other member of this girl squad was Frances Brandon, a.k.a. Lady Jane Grey's mom, a.k.a. Catherine Willoughby's sort of sister slash stepmother. But so we're looking at Catherine Parr today because she, in fact, for a time, uh, Lady Jane Grey was living with her and she had a substantial effect on Lady Jane Grey's life um, because Lady Jane Grey grew up with this really cool. If you think of like, like in Sleeping Beauty, there's the three animated film. There's the three sort of fairy godmothers who are also cute and they all have the little primary colored dresses on. I picture the Renaissance Reformation Girl Squad being kind of like that, just this super cool group of like aunties who are just like super smart, really cool, and they just sort of helped make Lady Jane Grey into the person who she briefly was. So Catherine Parr, also I want to sort of emancipate her from the narrative of she was Henry VIII's sixth wife because as much as I love the musical Six and I adore the musical Six I got to see it perform live before pandemic shut down the arts industry so good so fun it's a really fresh take my one quibble and in general I just want to let you all know that I'm not a stickler for historical accuracy to the point that it will stop me from enjoying things I enjoy anything that's inspired by history in general the trashier the better personally and six the musical so each of the wives in the musical sort of presents their their situation and the 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 creators of the show had a challenge ahead of them to have different genres of music for each wife and also for each of them to have a different story of what happened between them and Henry and the story that they gave to Catherine Parr is that she was her true love was Thomas Seymour, but she had to go be with Henry, but she loved Thomas Seymour. And I was just kind of like, is this the narrative we're doing? Because in fact, Thomas Seymour was a worse husband to her than Henry VIII, because Twist, Catherine Parr, had such an interesting and action packed life and such poor luck with husbands that actually she was married, I want to say four times maybe just three times we're gonna read through the story and we'll all learn together but like henry the was wasn't her only husband and he was not even her worst husband he was not even the most interesting thing or the most tragic thing to happen to her but like i hope when you when we reach the end of the story you'll understand why when i saw how six musical presented kind of the love story of catherine Parr and thomas seymour i was just like and pass. So, she's a very cool person, and I'm actually really excited to talk about her, not as the sixth in some sort of season of podcast about, like, just the six wives themselves, because outside of that context, there's a lot to talk about her. That was just a very small part of her life story, and that's part of what is so interesting about it all. So, let's dig into it. So, Catherine Parr was born in 1512, the daughter, the oldest child of a wealthy aristocratic Family, Her father was named Thomas, and her father was a, was a good friend of Henry VIII. So at the time that Catherine was born, Henry VIII was already king. Um, he was about 20 years old when she was born, so he would continue to be about 20 years older than her. So her mother was named Maud, and Maud was a lady-in-waiting to the queen, who was at this point still Catherine of Aragon, and in fact, just to make the generational divide all the creepier, Catherine Parr was named in honor of Catherine of Aragon. That's why there's so many Catherines around at this time. Everybody was named after the queen. Catherine of Aragon was her godmother. Little did anybody know that this little baby, 20 years later, was going to be marrying the king. Just a little. There's, there's always going to be some sort of weird generational thing in all these stories. That's a little little theme this season, I guess. So Catherine Parr was lucky enough to grow up at a time when the education of young women was seen as a priority for all noble families. Because, well, that's culturally what was happening. And this is partially because Catherine of Aragon's influence, because she herself had been given a really uh, thorough education from her mother. And so she just thought that all girls should be well educated. And so everybody was, because that's what she was a queen and that's what she was modeling for everybody. So Catherine Parr was a keen student. She learned to speak three languages other than English. She could also speak French, Latin, and Italian. And throughout her whole life, she kept being a, she was a lifelong learner. She eagerly learned new languages, um, new information. She really, she's a very intellectual, intellectually curious sort of person. So when she was 17 years old, which was just around when Henry was in the midst of trying to extricate himself from his marriage, to Catherine Maragon so he could marry Anne Boleyn. And the 17-year-old Catherine was married to Sir Edward Burr, and that's spelled B-U-R-G-H, and I feel like it's pronounced Burr because that's how Lady Catherine de Burg is said in Pride and Prejudice. So Edward Burr was slightly older than her, likely in his mid-twenties, and their marriage was of the usual arranged variety that would have been mutually beneficial for both families and uh, nothing unusual here. He was known to be in poor health at the time of the marriage and he actually died four years later. The couple had no children. So I was right, she does have four husbands. He's the first. So they had no children. So she was a widow aged 21. And then one year later when she was 22 and just well, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of it all, the parallel story that's going on is that Henry was by now married to Anne Boleyn Uh, Catherine Parr was married again in another arranged marriage. Her second husband was named John Neville, and he was at least twice her age. So she's 22, so he's at least 44, maybe older. He was also a baron. So marrying him elevated her in rank as she became the mistress of his estate and also stepmother to his two children, whose names were John and Margaret. So this was during Henry's Anne Boleyn years, which again to like vaguely recap a thing that I sort of know but didn't specifically research we're in the reformed religion era um, Henry has broken with the pope etc but the religion that he liked was really similar to being catholic except for no pope mostly Catherine and Neville were both catholic which was not which was a dangerous thing to be because Henry had changed the religion Neville was accused of being involved in the Pilgrimage of Grace, which I talked about last time. It was this rebellion led by the Catholics against the king. A bunch of people were arrested because they, they were just revolting against the king for various reasons. We'll get into it in much more detail later in a, a subsequent episode of this podcast when I have more time to research it. Anyway, Neville was potentially involved with this, and so he was arrested in October 1536, three months later. So he he was arrested, like taken to jail, presumably, leaving his young, young wife back in the castle with her stepchildren who she'd barely just met, alone for three months. And then after three months, he didn't come home. But what happened was Catherine and his children, her stepchildren were taken hostage. So suddenly we're in sort of like a panic room, Renaissance era situation. So with the help of Catherine's brother, William, Neville was freed without charge um, and returned home where he convinced the rebels to free his family, which is, like, impressive that he, using words, was able to stop his family being held hostage. So Catherine, at this point, was 24 years old, left alone to manage an estate and support her staff and stepchildren through this extremely traumatic situation. So you can already see, and she was fine, like she was up to the challenge so you can already see that she's strong and capable um, even at a young age so although her husband neville was found innocent of his charges his association with the rebels tainted him and her for the rest of his life just sort of by association he was apparently blackmailed like literally blackmailed for several years by henry the right-hand man thomas cromwell So meanwhile, like Henry VIII is just like having wives, not having wives, babies being born, whatever. By this point, when the whole Anne of Cleves situation wrapped up in the sense of that marriage was everyone's like, let's pretend that never happened. Uh, The family was able to return to as close to normal as they could because the Anne of Cleves situation wrapped up with Cromwell being killed. So this normalcy was short lived because Neville fell ill in 1542, the same year Catherine Howard was executed. Catherine Parr helped care for him. So, so Catherine Howard was executed in 1542. And this is where you're like, isn't Catherine Parr going to be Henry's next wife? Like, is she not still married to Neville? So just wait. Catherine Parr helped care for her husband for a year as he was ill and then he died in 1543 so she was left a very wealthy widow and just still just 30 years old so totally fine to marry again to take a third husband the marriage between them seems to have been companionate is that a word like they clearly got along just fine she kept his personal bible with her for the rest of her life to remember him by so clearly there was some affection there so what do you do when you're 30 years old, super smart, ridiculously wealthy, and suddenly widowed? Well, if you're Catherine Parr, you call up your old friend, Lady Mary. So Mary, the oldest child of Henry and Catherine of Aragon, was four years younger than Catherine, and they had been friends in childhood. Because remember, Catherine Parr was the goddaughter of Catherine of Aragon, so she and Catherine of Aragon's daughter, Mary, would have hung out as, as youths. So one month after Neville died, Mary took Catherine in as a lady-in-waiting. So while there, Catherine Parr caught the attention of a young courtier named Thomas Seymour, a.k.a. the brother of Jane Seymour, Henry VIII's third wife. Like, this is just—were I to draw out the family relationships and marriage relationships between everybody in Tudor court, it would just look like a giant, messy spiderweb of just everybody is related to everybody constantly. Catherine Parr and Thomas Seymour apparently fell in love, but they couldn't get married because someone else found Catherine attractive and that person was King Henry VIII. So this is why Thomas Seymour was suddenly sent to live in the Netherlands. The king was just like, what if I just get rid of, when you're the king, this is what you can do. If you're like, ooh, the person who I like, likes this other guy guess i'll just send him to the netherlands and then he was suddenly she was suddenly engaged to marry king henry VIII. she had no choice obviously one does not simply turn down the king especially not this king with all the dead wives in his wake when he wants to marry you you're like great let's do it so their wedding was held on july 12th 1543 and it wasn't it just seems kind of like the people of England were over it vis-a-vis celebrating Henry VIII's marriages. This was his sixth. Like, to them, this was getting weird. This had long ago gotten weird. But Catherine would have known. She's super smart, really clever and resilient, and she lived through the previous five wives and knew that she uh, needed to watch what she was doing if she didn't want to get executed. So she chose as her motto, because queens get to choose a motto, and hers was... To be useful in all that I do, which is like a nice vague sort of nothing sentence that can't really offend anybody. But it's also true. She made herself useful. She used her new power and her role to reward her family and friends, including giving positions at court to her stepchildren, Margaret and John Neville. She also, I mean now as a practiced stepmother, she nurtured good relationships with her three new stepchildren. So Lady Mary, a.k.a. her friend who is 26 um lady elizabeth who is 10 and prince edward who is six years old her past relationship with mary and the fact that henry the king liked her allowed her to sort of play mediator and to mend fences between the king and his two oldest daughters because there was the whole him making them illegitimate hard feelings stuff going on so her impressive emotional intelligence brought the royal family back together sort of parent trap style very impressive about a year after their marriage henry who was like not in good health to the point that he couldn't he had lots of different health problems he had trouble getting out of bed to the extent that he like invented a machine like a get me out of bed machine but he still was the king and liked doing King stuff. And so he went off to France to launch a military campaign against the French because England and France are just on off at war all the time for centuries. But this is where we get a hint of how much esteem and how much respect he had for his wife, Catherine Parr, because he literally left instructions for her to rule the country in his absence. She was substitute queen. He'd only done this once before with one of his other wives Um, actually with Catherine Parr's godmother, Catherine of Aragon. So Catherine of Aragon ruled for a while while Henry was away back in the day, but none of the other wives got to do that. Catherine Parr took this responsibility very seriously. She didn't just sit back and, you know, sign scrolls or whatever. She ran the court and the country like she had Neville's estate. She was a good manager, delegator. During her short time as regent, she oversaw the finances and equipment, For Henry's military campaign. She signed five royal proclamations and maintained a constant line of contact with military forces in Scotland. I came across this theory in a couple of different sources but basically her display of strength of character and being just kind of like a strong independent woman who people relied on and trusted and was an effective leader likely influenced her stepdaughter Elizabeth, probably Mary also, but Elizabeth we would go on to become a very famous and successful queen. So so just sort of her, Catherine Parr became a role model to her as well, to her stepdaughter. But of course, this wouldn't be a story of one of Henry's wives if there wasn't a bit where someone schemed to have her killed for fake charges or something, because that always happens. So the thing is that Catherine Parr had been reading a lot, I'm doing a lot of, Meeting with different scholars and different writers and different thinkers, and she was known to be sympathetic to the Protestants, who are the people who were like a bit more, a bit less Catholic y than people who are following Henry's new religion. So, this wasn't a secret. She wrote three books about her religious beliefs, but there were people at court who didn't like that direction of like veering over into. Being more, you know, like having church be in like a plain empty room with no fancy stuff around, like letting people read the Bible and have their own relationship with God instead of like having to go through a priest who they had to bribe, etc. No shade to current religious practices. I'm entirely talking about how things happened in the 16th century. So the people who didn't like her religious style tried to turn the king against her. So... To their credit, I mean, history shows it was not hard to turn Henry against one of his wives. So They were like, let's just like do that thing we do where we make Henry hate his wife and kill her, and then we'll find a new wife. So her enemies planted rumors that may have been true, who knows, that the king was now attracted to her good friend Catherine Willoughby and wanted to rid himself of his wife. So, well, they planted those rumors, but also Catherine Willoughby was gorgeous and amazing and maybe Henry did like her anyway but this was just sort of their first psychological manipulation of the situation the thing is that some of Henry's advisors had not liked Catherine from the beginning Um, and one of the things that rubbed people the wrong way about her was that she loved discussing all the new things that she learned like she's such an eager scholar she loved talking about philosophy and religion um, with people around her in a spirited debate especially on matters of religion. So what we know about Catherine Willoughby, you can see how the two of them would have gotten along, just like being really saying what they think and reading lots of books and going to lots of talks and just being the Renaissance Reformation Girl Squad. One day, Catherine made a bad decision, in retrospect, to debate the king about religion. When unknown to her, he was having an especially bad day with some of his health issues. He had an ulcer on his leg and terrible headaches. So she said something that apparently was so controversial that the king thought, well, the king could also had health problems, but people were kept whispering to him like, "Mm, what if your wife is secretly a heretic? And he's like, you know what? She is a heretic. What you just said is heretical. So then he told his doctor that Catherine is going to be arrested. I'm not, that details odd. I don't know. He just, maybe he was just saying that, but anyway, so he told his doctor that she was going to be arrested shortly after this some anonymous person left a copy of an arrest warrant at katherine's door like not to arrest her but just to be like yo heads up you're going to be arrested so knowing what had happened to her predecessors Anne boleyn and Catherine howard in the sense of uh henry arrested them and then they ended up being executed Catherine came up with a brilliant plan we're going to remember this when we get to scoring her for scheminess so she went to the king's room luckily enough it had not been locked to her as it had been when his previous wives were under arrest he he set up sort of like the worst trap in the world like if there had been wires he would have been wearing a wire like super obviously so he was like struck up a religious conversation where he clearly contradicted what she had said before she played off this perfectly agreeing with everything he said and going further claiming women are subservient to men and men are smarter than women and he was so much smarter than anybody and she was so lucky to be married to him etc etc henry was like no no you're lying to me but the best part is that Catherine was like oh are you talking about that thing i said before where you were like you're a heretic i only said that previous stuff to distract you from your ulcer on your leg because i knew you were in pain i didn't mean any of it i was just trying to distract you with my religious talk and henry said and this is a direct quote then kate we are friends again so just to recap she was going to be arrested but henry the probably executed and managed to talk her way out of it this is like next level amazing charisma intelligence amazing so but then it gets better Henry was like, okay, I'm not mad at you anymore. I want to arrest you. But he forgot to tell his counsel that she was no longer under arrest. So the next day, 40 guards, four zero guards, showed up to arrest her while she was out just like strolling the gardens with Henry. Henry basically beat them up, called them names, humiliated them. Um, Catherine was not just spared arrest and possible execution. But her husband, Henry, declared his love for her in a violent and public manner that made it clear what his true feelings were to everybody. For all of her trouble, you know, sorry for the almost arresting you thing, he gave her lots of jewels, basically daring anyone to try and turn him against her ever again. He was super loyal to her now, and all of his advisors were just like, message received. A year after all this drama, the king's health took a turn for the worse. He'd been sick for ages, for various reasons, and then he passed away on January 28th, 1547, So she was now known as the Dowager Queen, um, and the new king was her stepson, Edward, who became Edward VI. So similar to when Neville had died, Catherine was left single and sort of this weird mix of like really rich and powerful, but also entirely powerless because of the patriarchal society in which she lived. In his will, the king had left instructions that Catherine should always be treated as a queen of England, as though he were still alive and left her generous annual allowance. But she had no... It's not like when he was out of town and she got to be in charge. She had no actual power to rule, and her stepson Edward was supported by an entirely male council of advisors. She was also left guardian of her stepdaughter Elizabeth, who is then 14 years old. And do you remember Thomas Seymour, her old boyfriend? So, Catherine remembered Thomas Seymour and she reunited with him almost immediately after the king's death. At this point, Thomas was back from the Netherlands and he was also one of King Edward's advisors. So, it wasn't hard to find him. He was right there. And then, four months after Henry died, Catherine married him, which was not, which was quite a scandalous sort of thing to do. People didn't marry that quickly in general, but especially like queens didn't do that. So, knowing that this wouldn't look good, or meet the approval of basically anyone, they kept their marriage a secret for as long as they could. In this case, several months. Secret marriages are a trend we're going to see several times in this podcast season. And they never turn out well. Sure enough, it caused a scandal when people found out about the marriage. The king, the boy king, Edward, her stepson, and her friend-slash-stepdaughter, Lady Mary... Wildly disapproved because this just really seemed like a show of disrespect for their dead father. But Catherine Parr was still the legal guardian of teenage Elizabeth. And so in 1548, she invited Elizabeth, as well as her cousin, Lady Jane Grey, to live with her and Thomas in their new home. So remember, part of the Renaissance Girl Squad was Frances Brandon, the daughter of Mary Tudor. The stepdaughter, but the same age as Catherine Willoughby. So Catherine Parr would have known Lady Jane Grey from before anyway. And then also Thomas had a scheme that he wanted uh, Lady Jane Grey to marry the king, Edward. So various reasons, Lady Jane Grey went to live with them. And Catherine's home became known as an important place for young women to learn and discuss and debate. So even more so making her... A role model for both elizabeth and jane gray um this is where so there was like salons you know like the great thinkers of the day came and gave lectures and stuff so it was really uh, a place that really fostered in elizabeth and jane both of whom were really bookish studious sorts of people it really helped them with their own intellectual curiosity and figuring out their own thoughts about religion etc and just seeing a woman being cool but the home was also not the greatest place for young teenage girls because Catherine's husband Thomas took a inappropriate interest in Elizabeth. So apparently he'd already wanted to marry her before he'd gone back together with Catherine, because marrying the king's daughter would bring him lots of power and he was just a guy who just wanted power. At around the same time that Thomas's interest in Elizabeth got kinda weird and gross, Catherine became pregnant. For the first time so she's on her fourth husband first pregnancy and while she was pregnant she caught her husband in an embrace with elizabeth this part is really weird and quite distressing so like content warning so according to the testimony of other people who lived in the house so basically thomas just like kept trying to accost elizabeth he would like go into her room while she was in her pajamas which in oldie times was just like a giant shapeless nightgown so practically naked Um, It was inappropriate. He would like tickle her in bed and it's all just like grooming, awful grossness. And then Catherine may or may not have been okay with this. She might've been pretending she was okay with this, but apparently whatever was going on in this horrible, gross situation, Elizabeth only stayed with her for four months. Catherine uh, had her sent away and they never saw each other again, although they exchanged letters On August 30th, 1548, Catherine gave birth to a daughter who she named Mary in honor of her stepdaughter slash former friend. And then six days later, she died herself, uh, Catherine, from complications of childbirth. And just because I could not let you know, the following year, Thomas Seymour was beheaded for treason. And this is how and why. Henry VIII was not the worst of Catherine's husbands, at least in terms of how they treated her and what kind of person they were. Uh, Catherine Parr's daughter was given to her friend, Catherine Willoughby to raise, but then the daughter sort of appears from, disappears from historical record and so probably died as a child. So Catherine Parr in general is best known these days for her brief marriage to Henry VIII uh, for surviving um, being the one who survived, but she did other cool stuff too. E.g. Her first book was called Psalms or Prayers. Like that's the name of it. Psalms or Prayers was the title. It was published anonymously in 1543, the same year she got married to Henry VIII. Two years later, she made history as the author of the first book published in England by a woman in the English language using her own name. And this was a book called Prayers or Meditations. Her stepdaughter, Elizabeth, who, aside from the whole Thomas Seymour of it all, um, was clearly influenced in many ways by Catherine, and Elizabeth personally translated this book, Prayers or Meditations, into French, Italian, and Latin as a gift for her father, Henry VIII. Uh, Catherine's third book was called The Lamentations of a Sinner, and it was published in 1547, and she's now regarded as an important voice in Renaissance women's writing. She was laid to rest in the chapel at Sudley Castle, which is the same place she was living with Thomas when she died. And in terms of resources, references that I looked at and that you might want to look at if you want to learn more about this very interesting person. Uh, there's a book by Linda Porter called Catherine the Queen, The Remarkable Life of Catherine Parr, the last wife of Henry VIII. And there's a book by Elizabeth Norton called Catherine Parr, Wife, Widow, Mother, Survivor, the story of the last queen of Henry VIII. Philippa Gregory is always there for us, and she has a book about her called The Taming of the Queen. And that's Catherine Parr. So, time to get into the Scandalicious Scale. I, if you're wondering, do I know the numbers beforehand? I do not. And I don't know where she's going to land. And this is just as exciting for me as it is for you. So, scandaliciousness. Now, she had a couple main scandals in her life. One of them being getting married to Thomas Seymour only four months after the king died. Um, Another scandal would probably be being held captive for three months when her husband was arrested. Oh, and then mega scandal is, of course, possibly being a heretic 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 and almost being arrested like to the point that there was like a warrant over her arrest and people came to arrest her like this is I'm gonna give her an 8 for scandaliciousness because those are solid examples of some very juicy gossip happening that she instigated herself really Um, in terms of scheminess I'm also gonna give her an 8 I think an eight, yeah. Because this is where she was so capable. So it's not like her... Ske- the scheminess just of like being able to talk herself out of Henry not arresting her is like that in and of itself is astonishing. Amazing. Um, but also just the way that she was able to run a household. Like the fact that she was able to be queen while he was out of town. Like her strategies, aka schemes, I think were was a strength of hers as well her significance sort of like last time with Catherine willoughby like there's not a direct link like her daughter mary probably died as a child there's not like and then her child like her descendant became so and so but just her overall influence like holding these salons and really um being the role model for elizabeth of and for jane gray of kind of being a strong woman in control and how you could be like a smart intellectual woman and that can be your superpower and how that and then elizabeth herself became so influential i'm gonna say for significance still it's like mm, i'm gonna say six six for significance the sexism bonus so this is like she had to marry king henry the Eight, which is partially Sexism slash patriarchy, slash she had no choice, but also he was the king. She made her own way in the world in some ways. Mm, I don't know. She chose to marry Thomas Seymour. That wasn't, no one made her, and that's kind of the worst thing she ever did. So I'm just going to, I'm going to give her the basic default five for sexism. So then we add this up, and we have 16. 27. 27. Is that that's just slightly below. I know you don't have this list of names in front of you, but last time we did, Catherine Willoughby got a 25. Earlier in the season, Mary Tudor got a 27.5, and Catherine Pryor is there with a 27. So that's the same as Isabella of Castile, Francis Howard. It's just, yeah, to really reach the top of the scale, you need to have that combination of scandalousness, but you also need the significance And then really to bump you over the top, you need the sexism. It's really about all four. Like, she had strong marks in two of the four categories, but it's just that fourth one. Anyway, that's Catherine Parr. And so again, like, next time you listen to the Musical, which I recommend listening to all the time, the music's, like, the song Everyone Is A Bop. It is a great musical, but I don't love Catherine Parr's whole song being about how... She loves Thomas Seymour because he was the worst thing that ever happened to her. So this is Vulgar History. My name is Ann Foster. A couple little things to tell you about. So you can find, I wrote a whole essay about Catherine Parr, which you can find at my website, which is at AnneFosterWriter.com. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, Vulgar History Pod on Instagram, Vulgar History on Twitter. I have a Patreon, which is Patreon.com slash annfosterwriter. And things that maybe I could do once I get enough Patreon money would be my dream. That's my dream, is to, to get an editor for this podcast um, one day. Anyway, I also have merch, and the money from the merch also goes towards podcast-related expenses. Uh, the merch is at teespring.com slash stores slash vulgar history. And if you think, like, do you have merch about the Renaissance Reformation girl squad? Um, of course I do. And that's where you can find it. There'll be links in the show notes too. And if you go to there's a link in the show notes as well to my list on bookshop.org, which are the books that I've been using for the past 3 seasons to research with, books that I recommend as historical resources. And yeah, that's this episode. My name is Ann Foster. This is Vulgar History. Take care everybody. Masks on, tits out.